Welcome to Baking with House of Bread, and I'm your host, Sheila McCann. So today I'm going to tackle the confusing definition of ancient grain. So I first started thinking about it, well, wheat's been around forever. I mean, if you think about it, it's all, you know, it's referenced in the Bible, and technically it would be an ancient grain. That's what I kind of thought. Anyway, so I started researching it, and I have to tell you is that it was very, it was much more confusing, right? So I thought it would be easier to understand if just read a couple articles. What really took reading several more articles before I feel like I've got a decent handle on it to talk about it on a podcast. But the same time is, is that I'm no expert. (laughs) So I'm going to put the links to the articles that I read and just try to give you the, you know, the, the pearls of wisdom, so to speak, from those various articles. The bottom line is there really is no scientific definition, nor is there any regulatory standard to define what an ancient grain is. And so lately we've been hearing more about it. It's gained a lot of popularity in basically local food movements because there's perceived improved nutrition and some pl- flavor profiles. And I think there's some truth to that. Yes, current wheat is can be traced back to the roots of time. So technically it is considered an ancient grain, except for here's the deal with what happened. Humans engaged in what's called selective breeding. And you think of selective breeding, like let's say you want to have kids with brown eyes. Well, you don't want to have two kids with blue eyes put together because you're not going to produce brown eyes. So selective breeding is not genetically modifying the molecular structure, right? So it's not GMO. It's really about taking a quality you like in a plant or an animal or whatever and trying to match it with another plant that has a similar quality to produce that. And so selective breeding was done to try to get wheat that was stronger, uh, more resilient for, you know, pests and whatever else and insects. And basically it's to increase the yield amount. And then they get engaged in selective breeding to try to get higher protein. And so your higher protein is your gluten content, right? And there's no question, if you got a higher gluten content, you're going to get a fluffier loaf, right? It's going to get bigger and it's not going to fall apart on you. And that's why I say when you're going to make bread, 90% of the time in most recipes, you want to use a bread flour. And a bread flour has a higher gluten content. And that being said, you don't want to add vital wheat gluten. And so you may have heard me already talk about this. I won't try to belabor the point. The point is, is that adding vital wheat gluten is a super condensed form of gluten um, and they even have, you know, for vegetarians, they try to, you know, they think they're eating healthier sometimes or whatever. But and that seton, which is basically wheat meat, that's a vegan meat alternative. And what they do is they take the vital wheat gluten, which is which can be a naturally occurring thing. So it's in your wheat berry. So there's carbohydrates, right? And then there's some protein. And they wash out how they get vital wheat gluten. They wash out all the carbohydrates, and you're left with like a paste. They take that and add in whatever, spices and seasoning and and make it into um, 
bake it and boil it or whatever, how they get it to that seaton thing. It's not healthy. I would also say that adding vital wheat gluten into your bread, it is going to make a, a stronger dough. It's going to produce bread that's fluffier and it's not going to fall apart on you. But I honestly think it's too much gluten for the body. So the better we can stay to the original grains, the better it is. But that being said, selective breeding is different. Okay, so that's not where you're taking the molecular structure and genetically modifying it. They've also done that to wheat. So there has been um, selective breeding and then they started altering the grains. And the whole goal there was to make them easier to mill and a higher gluten content because it's easier to make bread. That started in the 1980s. It's interesting because if you think about the 80s, there was a lot of other stuff going on there. And actually, I love the 80s. <laughs> That's where I grew up in the 80s. That's for when high fructose corn syrup was started getting added to sodas. I think what it was is that they were trying, they didn't really understand how this was going to affect the body. And they were just trying to, to make their production more efficient, right? And to cut costs. And now we know that high fructose corn syrup is really bad for you. Anyway, so with the bread... They started adding, um, trying to get more gluten into the molecular structures to get bread that was, you know, the fluffier and it held together better. And all this worked really well until you start getting people with gluten intolerances. And that is a recent phenomenon. You know, originally when I had the, you know, people asking for gluten-free stuff, I kind of dismissed it as fatty, you know, like you know, whatever, just a, a food fad. Food fads come and go every 20 years. And, and then I really started looking into it and I'm like, wow, there really is a lot of people with more sensitivities and because there's a lot more gluten in breads. So even in the breads that don't have vital wheat gluten, which is the kind of breads that I have at House of Bread and I hope you're making at home, there is still more gluten in it than there was, you know, whatever, centuries ago. Um, but that being said, it's still a natural amount because a lot of it's from selective breeding. If you kind of try to stick with that, I, I still think you're going to be pretty good. Um, and just avoid where they started changing the molecular structure or avoid breads that have added vital wheat gluten, which is about 99% of the mass-produced bread in America. On to what is an ancient grain. An ancient grain, okay, so the expert... <laughs> Wikipedia also says it's a marketing term used to describe a category of grains and pseudo-cereals that are purported to have been minimally changed by selective breeding over recent millennia, as opposed to more widespread cereals such as corn, rice, and modern varieties of wheat, which are the product of thousands of years of selective breeding. So then that's when I looked up selective breeding. Wheat is an exceptional example of a crop that was selectively bred into the different kinds of wheat we commonly know today. And it's up until the 17th century, the varieties of wheat grown globally were the same that had been grown for centuries. I know this world's been around a long time, so if you think about it, 17th centuries, whoa. But basically what happened was is people began to tire of wheat and began to carefully select the biggest and best grains to harvest seeds for the next crops. Eventually, the new varieties of wheat were spread to other regions from immigrants and exporting, and those which grew well were, con were continually grown. Nowadays, wheat has the ability to survive in harsh climates, thus 
it increases the yield amount. I think, as many of you may know, I grew up in Montana, and um, so there was a lot of wheat fields. In fact, my family, we were not wheat farmers, but we actually rented out some of our land to wheat farmers, and we would get a third of the crop. So that was the cut. So they put all the energy growing the wheat, and we got a third of it. I mean, yield amounts were super important. I mean, that's how they survive, getting higher yield. So that's why they got engaged in a lot of selective breeding. Okay, so another source, baking and snack. If you haven't heard of baking snack, you might want to Google it. They have, um, it's free publications. I mean, it's free, but there's a lot of advertising, right, from all the different flower suppliers, equipment suppliers. It's mainly made for commercial businesses, but you can definitely get a free copy of it. So baking and snack. But the December 2020 issue, I saved it because I actually started on this ancient grain um, topic Oh, back, uh, it was in the summer. It still was confusing to me. And so when I came across this article, I saved it. But how they define it is ancient grains include varieties of wheat. That would be spelt, commute, farro, icorn, emer. And those are your wheat varieties of ancient grains. There are also other ancient grains such as millet, barley, teff, oats, sorghum. And then there's a pseudo cereals, a quinoa, a buckwheat, and ch- uh, chai. Focusing on the wheats, modern wheat is basically a hybrid descendant of three wheat species considered to be ancient grains, spelt, icorn, and emer. Now, the Whole Grains Council, they define ancient grains pretty loosely as grains that are largely unchanged over the last several hundred years. So do you notice how vague that is? Largely unchanged over the last several hundred years. This means that modern wheat, constantly bred and chained, is not an ancient grain. While icorn, emmer, farro, and kamut, and spelt would be considered ancient grains in the wheat family. So let's just say that's what an ancient grain is. (laughs) And that modern wheat is not because it's been constantly bred and changed. To throw in another confusing topic, let's, let's bring in the heirloom. What's an heirloom? So heirloom varieties of other common grains, such as Black barley, red and black rice, blue corn might be considered ancient grains as well. Other grains largely ignored for many centuries were recently introduced into Western palates as the teff, the millet, quinoa would be considered ancient grains as well. Sometimes less common grains like buckwheat, wild rice are also included. So it seems like it's a pretty big deal. So I'm going to kind of focus more on the wheat ones. And farro, basically, that's the catch-all terms for the hold wheat. Okay, the hold wheat, that's your spelt, your emer, and your icorn. And icorn, it's pronounced like icorn, but it's E-I-N-K-O-R-N. That's how it's spelled. And these are the three varieties are the mother wheat to modern wheat. And the ones that I've worked with extensively, well, most is spelt. And that is definitely considered an ancient grain. And I will have to confess what I told people, because this is what was told to me, what spelt was. History at House of Bread, I started getting requests for spelt. Oh, this is, you know, back in late 90s. So what I did is I called up my farmer in Montana, who owned Wheat Montana, and I said, who's ordering a lot of spelt? Because I knew they grow spelt and they had an organic spelt, which I liked. So he gave me a bakery, I don't even remember what it was, it was in the East Coast, 
And he's the one that gave me a recipe for spelt. And then he's the one that told me that it came out of the Egyptian tombs in the 1950s. So I don't know how many people I've told, hundreds of people in the bakery when they ask what is spelt, and then I tell them it's an ancient grain. What happened was is that they discovered it in Egyptian tombs. They open up the tombs, this grain falls out, and they plant it. And that was that spelt, which is a distant, distant cousin of wheat is today. So I was right about that, but <laughs> I did my best to find uh, any type of verification for the Egyptian tomb story. And guess what? I didn't find one of them. Anyway, so I am have been lying, I guess. You know, I wasn't knowingly lying, but I kind of was. So, by the way, the guy that gave me that um, his recipe for spelt, it didn't turn out at all. And I started tweaking it and started tweaking it. And anyway, I will cover spelt in a future episode because I can tell you that we have a really good spelt bread. I like it. I mean, it's kind of nuttier. It's got a, a, a stronger flavor. Um, it is harder to make, but it's not that hard. Um, and so I use 100% whole grain spelt because there's white spelt and there's whole grain spelt. Anyway, I'll save the recipe for another episode and get back to my ancient grains. So spelt is basically another member of the Faro family. And so it's Faro Grande. So Faro is, once again, it's a catch-all term for that ancient hold wheat, which includes the icorn, emer, and spelt. I thought Faro was a separate grain <laughs> until I started researching this. Little did I know, spelt is in the family of the Faro family. So it was originally cultivated in what is now Iran and, and possibly simultaneously in southeastern Europe. So it's a staple of its day, and it's one of the first wheats used to make bread. So in the Middle Ages, it was even thought to heal illnesses. So with the westward movement of early civilization, spelt moved with them. Presence was extensive. And like its sibling wheats in the Faro family, it's still grown in limited amounts in some regions. And specifically, Germany and Switzerland grow a lot of spelt. The whole of these, it's, all the farrows have a hole and it really protects the nutrients and it stays on until right before it's milled into flour. I mean, wheat berries, if you've ever seen them, I mean, they're pretty hard. And so they all have that hard husk. And that's why you want to get freshly milled flour because once you break it, that husk, then flour, it starts to oxidize. I mean, just the same thing with coffee, right? So freshly ground coffee is better. And the same thing with wheat or spelt or emer or icorn, right? So you want to get it closer to when it was milled. Question is, spelt or ancient grains, are they more nutritious than wheat? Like I said in my disclaimer, I'm not a nutritionist. But from what I gather, yes, it is. Um, and I also think it has, a, a well, it has a different type of gluten content. So it wasn't, there was no selective breeding going on. There certainly wasn't anything else going on there. So if you do have gluten intolerances, what I tell people, first of all, avoid vital wheat gluten. Second of all, try spelt. And I really try to send this message home to uh, customers because they come in and they, you know, oh, so-and-so said that they felt better going gluten-free. And so I want to go gluten-free. And I'm like, really? Because here's the deal. We do gluten-free breads. Um, and I can tell you, it, they're not that great. <laughs> so, I mean, I love bread. And, it, and it's not that they're bad. In fact, I did a gluten-free episode. And they've come a long way. Gluten-free bread today is much better than it was 15 years ago. But that being said, 
it's not like spelt and spelt is delicious. Um, and so I'm really trying to turn people to spelt. I'm like, if you, uh, do you have celiac disease? And if they say yes, then I'm saying, well, then gluten-free is all you can have. But if you just have gluten intolerances, why don't you try spelt? Um, and actually, I have a big poster up that talks about vital wheat gluten. I kind of point them to that because I like, just avoid vital wheat gluten. Try that first. So try our honey whole wheat, you know, just honey flour, water, yeast, and salt. Um, and the reason I try to steer them that way, because I have, a, have that every single day where I only make spelt a couple days a week. And I don't make that many loaves. And then I got to tell you also, too, spell flour is a lot more expensive. So it's like three times as expensive as my normal wheat flour. Supposedly, it's harder to grow. That's why. Because I'm sure through their selective breeding or when they started modifying stuff is they um, tried to make it more resilient. And so it was easier to grow, right, and getting higher yields. Well, spelt didn't have that same attention. And so therefore, it's a lot more expensive to buy. All right. So on spelt here, we're going to talk about the vitamins and minerals and all the other stuff. It's very similar to wheat, but it has double the amount of vitamin K of wheat. And there's several minerals that which are slightly higher in spelt than wheat, including iron, potassium, and zinc. However, one of the reasons why spelt is often preferred over wheat is not really because of the vitamin content, because it causes less digestive upset. And wheat has more gluten than spelt. And this is why people who have wheat allergy find themselves enjoying spelt products more so. Spelt also has a high amount of soluble fiber, which helps with the functioning of our digestive tract and increases digestion. It just makes it easier. It's kind of like the sweeper. And that's where your fiber is. And, but wheat has fiber as well. Um, but it is lower in calories in, uh, compared to wheat, which is why many people find it to be a lighter grain. And they think it's not as heavy. And so they have an easier time digesting it because it doesn't have that excessive full or bloated feeling that they get sometimes when they eat regular wheat. So icorn is also called farro piccolo, and it's known as nature's original wheat. In a world where wheat digestion is an ever-present problem, icorn is another thing like spelt. It can be tolerated a lot easier in the body. Now that originated more in the Middle East. It really was non-existent until, and well, it's traced back into September of 1991. Now, I'm going to tell you this story, and you're going to think that <laughs> I'm full of it, but I'm going to give you a reference because I'm like, really? I'm Now I'm suspicious since I got, you know, for 20 years, I've been telling people about the addition tombs and spelt. So I did double check on this story, so I'm going to tell it to you, and then you can double check yourself. So September of 1991 is when Helmut and Erica Simon decided to go for a little hike in the Italian Alps. So these two hikers discovered a body sticking out of a melting glacier. The melting <laughs> glacier had a body and the body became known as Otzi the Iceman. And I can tell you it's worth go reading the um taking a look at the link because <laughs> it's, a, it's just a funny photo. You can imagine what a frozen dude looks like in a glacier. So he's not too good looking. And his photo was in the article. Really, I'm not making this up. And it, so anyways, his body, along with the last thing he ate, was preserved in ice for over 5,000 years. And so what do you think was present in Otzi's last meal? You guessed it. That'd be icorn. Clearly a staple in the region where Otzi came from. So there you go. 
And that's going to be an icorn history and origin. And I'm going to give you a um, link, like I said. So it's just kind of fun little history, historical fact there. In another episode, I will give you my spelt bread recipe. Do hope that I haven't confused you too much on the definition of ancient grain. Um, I feel like I got a better handle on it. But I, like I said, I'm not, you know, 100% sure what the definition is because there is no regulatory definition. And so it is a little bit more confusing, but it's really, I think, more of a catch-all term, and it's used a lot in marketing. So they want to call everything almost, you know, an ancient grain. Um, and really, what is that? So technically, wheat, you know, has been around forever, so maybe that would be ancient. But really, I think if you want to stick to the definition I'm getting it from, it's more of the ancient wheats, right? So your, your spelt and your emers and your icorns. You know, those are in the Faro family. And then also, too, there's, you know, your quinoa, your teff, your millet, and your sorghum and your blue corn, red and black rice, barley. Um, those kind of things can also be ancient grains. If you want to play around with them, I would buy some. What I would suggest is go to your local natural grocery store where they can sell things in bulk and, and buy a small portion of it. What you want to know what you're getting is they do have white and wheat versions. Okay, so if you're going to buy some spelt, and we do, we use whole grain um, spelt in my bakery. So if you're going to substitute with it, try to substitute in recipes. So if it calls for white bread flour, don't substitute whole wheat. You want to try to get something similar. So just be aware there is white spelt and there's whole wheat in the same thing with icorn. So you want to try to get, if you're going to use it in a whole grain recipe, um, use the whole grain version of icorn or spelt. And if you don't like it, just buy a little bit. So buy a couple pounds in, you know, the store and then just try, you know, experimenting a little bit, maybe like 25%. Try that and then try 50%. And like I said, in the future, I will include an episode on our spelt and I will give you our spelt recipe which I think happens to be fabulous. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I encourage you to check out the show notes and learn about Otzi the Iceman. <laughs> and like I said, I'm not lying about that. It, it is true. It is according to, you know, the internet. Internet wouldn't lie to you, right? experiment a little bit with these different grains because that's kind of the fun thing about home baking you don't have to buy 100% you know spelt bread you can just put a little bit into your favorite loaf and see how it um, complements you know some of the other um, grains that are in there the advantage of home baking you can bake to your own taste and your own own nutritional needs I encourage you to take that leap and have a little faith and give it a shot and on that note everybody Happy baking.